Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? Hello, 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 hello. Doing good. Uh, that, that was actually the second time we recorded the intro because of some audio issues, and Nick added a few hellos into it. So Yeah, at um, least two. Variety is, as they say, kids, the spice of life. Uh, Nick, we're uh, I'm in a pretty good mood. It's hard not to be in a pretty good mood considering uh, the win that Penn State had over the weekend against Wisconsin. Uh, I didn't have you... On the recap show, we went in a more Matt direction with that one. So I want to know just your thoughts on Penn State's win. Um, now that you, you've had a little bit of time to digest it, now that you've had a little bit of time to go back and rewatch it, I know you did Sean Clifford's passing chart. What stood out uh, as you got a chance to rewatch and as you had more time to kind of think about that game in retrospect? Yeah, I think going back and watching it again, I, you know, there are a lot of things about Sean Clifford's game that I think were, I mean, the fact that he didn't turn the ball over was huge, but still a lot of room to improve. I mean, he was pretty, pretty disappointing throwing the ball from like the seven to 16, 17, 18 yard range, uh, which is an area I think he'll need to improve on. But Wisconsin also defended that area of the field super well. So I think overall, my biggest takeaway from the offense um, well, biggest two takeaways. One, I was impressed with Mike Yurcich's uh, ability to adjust, even though what they did in the second half wasn't all that different. They just did it better. But I think he forced the issue a little bit more with getting his guys uh, the ball in space in the second half. And the other takeaway was that after a uh, difficult start to the game, I'd say, for the offensive line, they played better over the rest of the course of the game, especially once Eric Wilson went in at left guard. But overall, I do expect more from that group. Um, again, Wisconsin, really tough matchup. I so I mean, we'll get into this in a few minutes here, but I am looking for the offensive line to dominate this week against Ball State. Um, and then defensively, I mean, I could talk for 20 minutes about what the defense did. The defense was great. Um, I think the standouts for me were probably Arnold Ebiketti, PJ Mustafer, Ellis Brooks, Jaquan Brisker. Uh, which I, more or less the same standouts that everybody has. But I thought those four <laughs> in particular were excellent on Saturday. Uh, and, you know, I mean, really, those are the four guys that you want to be at the top of their game, especially must for Brooks and Brisker. You're talking about the backbone of the defense, straight up and down the middle of the defense. Those are the spots that you need to be especially strong, um, because if you do that, then you can let your guys on the outside guys like Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs and the cornerbacks and the defensive ends, you can let those guys fly around a little bit more if you have that solid base. So um, overall, I thought it was great. And Jordan Stout as a punter specifically, incredible on Saturday. Loved to see that from him. Uh, so overall, ugly game, but a lot of good. And I will feel a lot more comfortable drawing some early conclusions after week two because, you know, Wisconsin especially offensively, because Wisconsin is just such a difficult opponent on defense. Um, and then on the other side, you know, I don't want to take too much away from Penn State's defensive performance because what Wisconsin did offensively was so vanilla. So I'll be interested to see what happens this week. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, you know, I kind of I posed this to you on the first take of this podcast, which no one will hear because I've since deleted it. But like I'm trying to think of a bit bigger win from the James Franklin era at least in the last, say, three years. And I just, you know, there's the Ohio State game, obviously. There's the Big Ten title game. Uh, you know, one or two of the time, you know, when they went into Kinnick and walked it off. But since, since Penn State won, it, won the Cotton Bowl, Won the Cotton Bowl, definitely, and I think you can make the argument since Joe Moorhead left. I don't know if they have had a bigger win than that. Since Joe Moorhead left? Um, I, well, the thing is, I, I would say since Joe Moorhead left gets a little dicey because, you know, there's a New Year's Six Bowl win in there. But mm -hmm. if you want to say since they won the uh, since they won the Cotton Bowl, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, if we're sticking to strictly when Moore had left, I would say the Fiesta Bowl win was probably the best one over Washington. But oh, this God, is... I forgot that was technically without Moorhead. Damn. OK, yeah, yeah, that was a uh, that was a Ricky Ronnie game. That was his first the first game he called, if I remember correctly. Um, 
Yeah, I think you might be right. I mean, yeah, some big games against Iowa definitely stand out if we're talking about biggest win. Um, obviously nothing last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that might be it. I mean, maybe a Michigan game potentially as well. I don't know. Yeah, I feel comfortable saying this is probably probably the best and most important win since then. And then after every big win, uh, the hope is that you do not follow it up with a disappointing loss. And Penn State has a uh, God. There's no there's no way to say this without saying sounding like a jerk. I don't want to say they have like a crazy hard game um, on the horizon uh, this week. Penn State's taking on the Ball State. Cardinals, the reigning champions of the MAC conference, uh, a solid team. They picked up a couple of votes in this past week's AP poll. Like we mentioned, they won their conference last year. Uh, having said that, though, they did struggle last week in their game against Western Illinois, uh, FCS. Uh, team a good side but ultimately a team that Ball State was able to beat uh, Penn State enters this game as 22 and a half point favorites according to our friends out in the desert FPI uh, not FBI SP plus has Penn State at a 96 percent chance of winning this game with a projected score of 43 to 12. Nick, before we go dive into Penn State's offense and defense and all that stuff, just your general thoughts on this game. And then how has your opinion that this game changed since Penn State beat Wisconsin? Because this was a somewhat popular pick for, you know, Penn State could be in a little bit of trouble against the reigning champions of the MAC. Well, I mean, first of all, to me, this was never really that uh scary of a trap game for the simple fact that ball state's best the thing they do best is throw the ball to justin hall and the thing that penn state what we think penn state is going to do the best all season is defend the pass so i didn't really ever see this as a terribly good fit as a trap game for any other reason than it was sandwiched between wisconsin and auburn but i think when you add in the fact that it's the first home game with fans in over a year that kind of negates that a little bit in my opinion um and just you know you said that they they were in a little bit of trouble last week i've been looking at this game on uh i just discovered this website gameonpaper.com i don't know if you've looked at this at all um basically it's it's doing a lot of stuff that bill connelly's sp plus numbers do um but not, you know, not to the same degree, and it's free. Um, and yes, Ball State was a 31-point favorite, and yes, they only won by, what, 10 points. But the kind of the story of the game and the underlying numbers show a performance that wasn't nearly as close. However, that also means they didn't pull away when they were supposed to. But you know, we'll talk about that more in a minute when we get into more specifics. But, I, you know, I, this this isn't... This isn't a game that strikes me as something that should be all that difficult for Penn State when all is said and done. Ball State has talent. I mean, they have experience at quarterback with Drew Plitt. They have Justin Hall, like I mentioned. Um, they have the incredibly, incredibly other uh, named other receiver that is kind of their go-to guy with Johannes, Tyler. I don't know if it's Johannes, Johannes, whatever it is. Regardless, it's an amazing name. Um, but... Like, they have weapons, but it's just not enough. And I don't really see Penn State being terribly challenged here. Uh, yeah, Pitt less a uh, plit. Apologies, I, I never say anything uh, nice about Pitt on this podcast. Uh, 2,154 yards completed, 65.3% uh, of his passes, 17 touchdowns uh, against six interceptions for Ball State, which... You know, they didn't exactly play a full schedule last year. They played eight games on the year. So pretty impressive numbers for that period of time. Uh, Hall and Tyler, the former, had 49 receptions for 665 yards and four touchdowns. The latter, 42, 6 of 7, and 8. Uh, an offense that, like Nick mentioned, is able to throw the ball a little bit. And that was basically it, – it, it's – 
funny because I, I wasn't concerned too much. Like I was concerned a little bit because, you know, Mertz, Graham Mertz is a four star. They have veteran receivers, but I thought if Wisconsin was going to be able to move the ball through the air on Penn state, it was going to be, you know, 10, 12 yards uh, completion to a receiver who's not exactly a yards after catch monster. And they just moved the sticks that way. This offense has a little bit more big play ability. And I actually think that while we think that Penn State secondary is a strength, and I don't exactly think that's a, an off-base thought, they're going to get a really interesting test this week in the form of what the Cardinals are going to do, go, do through the air, even if uh, you know Ball State is not exactly uh, this kind of like incredible juggernaut of a football program. Uh, the Cardinals for... Uh, the talent that they have throwing the ball, 83rd in offensive SP+, plus, a, a leaky defense, 110th in defensive SP+. Plus. Uh, and Nick, to me, that is, you know, we look at this game, we break it down Penn State's offense, Penn State's defense. I want to start with Penn State's offense because while it was able to get big plays, while it was able to hold on to the football, to me... This is a defense that, yes, they have a couple of nice players uh, on it. Uh, PFF coming into this season named uh, Jack Sape, a third-team interior defensive lineman. Uh, Anthony Ekpe, a second-team edge defender. Uh, Jalen Thomas, an honorable mention linebacker. Uh, Amechi Uzonama, a uh, 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 Wow, I might have messed that up. Amechi Uzo I'm impressed you tried, though. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm a professional. Uh, at cornerback, an all-mention, uh, and then a uh, third-team in third-team safety in Brett Anderson and a first-team flex uh, D player in Bryce Cosby. It has talent on the defensive side of the ball, but looking at Penn State's offense, I think this week should be an opportunity for them to be able to do a lot of the stuff that was con- like, you know, controversial take here, do a lot of the stuff that looked really, really, really hard to do against Wisconsin solely because this defense just probably is not up to, up to par. Yeah. Like you mentioned, there is individual talent on this defense, but it is mostly the same team that gave up 434 yards a game a year ago. They were able to combat that um, by averaging 2.1 turnovers a game. It's like they were pretty active in the secondary. Last year they had two, four, six, eight, ten interceptions in eight games, which is pretty good. Um, so they were able to combat their uh, inability to really stop teams from moving the ball by turning them over, but. Like you, yeah, like you said, there should be a opportunity for Penn State to really get its offense going. Now, I don't know if Mike Yurcich. I don't know if Mike Yurcich is the kind of guy who's going to hold stuff back yet. With Auburn coming to town next week, I don't know. We don't really know much about him, like personality-wise and play call play call-wise in that way. But I would imagine that he uses this week as just more a get-right spot for the offense, a chance to just gain some confidence on some mid-range throws for Clifford. I think they'll definitely keep trying to go over the top with deep balls because that's more or less going to be their identity. But I also think they are going to make a real, real specific effort to get the run game involved here. I think we're going to see a lot of Noah Kane early. Um, and, I mean, it's it's more or less what they tried to do last week. It just didn't work. Wisconsin was way too stout <laughs> in the middle for Kane to get going. So I do think they'll try to do that again. I I wonder if it will be predominantly Kane like it was last week or if they'll work a little harder to get more guys involved. I know Franklin in his press conference this week talked about how the game, given the opponent and the environment, they kept the rotations on some key positions pretty tight. So like last week, like wide receiver and running back and cornerback um, spots where we usually see them rotate a lot. It sounds like the plan is to get more guys involved in those spots, guys like Liam Clifford and Harrison Wallace. Uh, maybe Kaziah Holmes gets some carries this week. I imagine that Devin Ford will get more. So I do think they're going to spread things around a little bit, um, both in terms of 
who they're throwing to and who's running the ball. But I do, I do see this as a get right spot for them. It's just not that imposing of a defense despite the individual talent. Yeah. Yeah. I, you never want to, uh, I, and I know you weren't trying to do this, so please don't take it this way, but you ne- you never want to do the whole, like, well, obviously they want to get to the point where they can play the true freshman and they can get the third strikers or blah, blah, blah. Like, I know you weren't doing that, but I'm like, always want to make sure that's never the thing because next thing you know, you're in an Appalachian state in 2018 game. So what I, what I actually think is I want to see Noah Kane uh, a bit more and Kane, he got going at the end of that game. But the reason I want to see him two parts, one, I just want to see more Noah Kane. I want him to continue to get the rust off of his body that it has assuredly built up from being injured last season. And then more importantly, I just want this offensive line getting more comfortable blocking for Noah Kane. Uh, I want Penn State's offensive line to get as much experience with the first team offense. What I mean by that is I want the first five guys you want up there with the starting quarterback, the starting running back, and the starting receivers because that was one thing that kind of stuck out last week. I mean, you look through Penn State's schedule. It's a thing that Bill Conley told us on uh, the pod that he joined us on that might be the best defense they end up playing. But I was going to have a really good defense. Ohio State's back seven is doo-doo, but their defensive line has some dudes on it. I want that offensive line using this game as an opportunity to go, listen, that's not going to be a super mega dominant group that we're going to be up against. Okay. Let's go out there. Let's push them around. Let's let a guy like Noah run free a little bit because we saw, I think the broad strokes of what the passing offense is going to be. It's going to be a lot of emphasis on hitting a couple of those deep balls. It's going to be a lot of emphasis on getting, you know, I'm going to say getting guys ball, the ball in space, but like, Penn State did a ton of damage passing the ball right near the line of scrimmage, but it was just stuff like getting Parker Washington the ball with two blockers ahead of him. So I think we, like, I don't think Penn State's going to exactly run the Wisconsin passing offense that we talked about a minute ago, but I think the passing offense, unless you want to view this as, all right, let's have Sean go 25 for 30, let's have him throw for 350 yards, let's have him throw for four touchdowns. As long as he does what he did against Wisconsin, albeit, you know, a little bit more efficiently, I'll be pretty happy. But that's what I want out of Penn State's offense. I want this running game going. I want this offensive line to get humming. I want them doing that with Noah Kane. And then I want them working down the depth chart to uh, Kayvon Lee, to Devin Ford, to Keziah Holmes, to whomever else. Uh, but on the other side of the ball, Nick, this actually – it's funny because there is a chance that this ends up being – a one it is a radically different test for Penn State compared to Wisconsin Uh, I don't want to say it's going to be a better test but it's going to be a more fun test I think than uh, Wisconsin you know trying to play murder ball and gain four yards on every single play yeah it's going to be interesting to watch specifically the linebackers for Penn State and how they hold up in coverage because they are going to have to play more coverage this week than they did a year a year a week ago um but I think the main thing for me that I'm watching is i i mean the matchup between Justin Hall and Joey Porter Jr., Tariq Castro-Fields, or whoever else is out there is going to be awesome, and I think that is going to be the most exciting part of the game. But in terms of finding what to watch to kind of gauge what Penn State's defense is going to be going forward, I'm going to be watching the pass rush really closely because this is the type of game I don't believe Ball State had any offensive linemen be named to the MAC preseason first team. I think they maybe had a second teamer, but suffice to say the offensive line is not the strength of this team. And this should be the kind of game where Ebikidi and Tar Burton and Luketa well, once he moves back to the defensive line when Ellis Brooks uh, comes back to play linebacker in the second half. Um, whoever else gets out there, whether it's Amin Vanover, PJ Musterfer from the interior, all those guys, this should be the type of game where they tee off. Like this should be the type of game where Penn State walks away with five sacks, 
I would think like this, this should be a chance for them to really get going downhill into the backfield and cause some major havoc. Um, I was looking at again, that by the, uh, what did I say that the website is called uh, gameonpaper.com. Um, you, you know what, you know, it's a really good endorsement for a website that you say you like <laughs> to not remember. <laughs> to be the fair. Name yes. To be fair. I discovered it like two days ago and I've only looked at it a couple times. So I'm still, I'm still, my fingers are still learning what I'm typing into the keys there. Um, but Penn State didn't actually create that many havoc plays against Wisconsin. They created some impactful plays, but I really want to see them get in there more consistently this week. I think I agree with that. I mean, I like, it, it, I don't want to basically say I don't want them gaining a single yard because like Justin Hall and Johannes Tyler were both first team all uh all Mac teams by PFF. They are, Tyler is a big, physical, bruising receiver. He comes in at 6'3", 204. Hall, not the biggest guy on earth, but he's the kind of guy who he can have your defense in some hell if you let him run free. You know, he's in at 5'9", 186. You know, he's obviously not Rondale Moore, but like that archetype of wide receiver. And both of those dudes are kind of different tests than Penn State had to face last week. Wisconsin does not have the kind of guy that would make, you know, NFL's back tonight. Nick, do you mind if I do a Chris Berman impression? Please. They don't have that kind of guy. That's kind of what Hall is. Uh, I just scared the dog doing that. Uh, Tyler. I wonder why. <laughs> Tyler, meanwhile, big, again, big physical. Wisconsin has had a good tight end in Jake Ferguson, but he wasn't exactly someone that, say, Tariq Castrofield or Joey Porter Jr. was going to have to battle against. So I think you're generally right. I would like it if Penn State was able to bottle up this running game, which, you know, actually that was the strength of Ball State's offense last week, 40 carries, 216 yards, and a pair of scores. Will Jones ran it 18 times for 93 yards. Carson Steele, 7 for 79. But Ball State's a throwing team. Drew Plitt is is a quarterback who's going to try and take the top off of you. And again, not a better test for Penn State than Wisconsin, but a different and potentially more fun test for Penn State against Wisconsin. I think Nick made a great point about how this is a really good opportunity for that defensive front, whether it's front whether you want to say defensive line, whether you want to say front seven in general to, you know, puff its chest out a bit, say, look at what we did last week. We're going up against a team that is not as good and not as talented. Let's flex a little bit because these are the games where you have to do that when you have the big 10 on the horizon. And frankly, when you have Auburn coming up in a week and you know, Auburn's going to want to turn that into a war, make a statement this week because you have that opportunity to do that. Uh, I think we both know the answer to this question, Nick. Um, any concerns about winning this game for Penn State? And you know what? I'll actually aden- make it a bit of a change to that. Think back to when Penn State played Buffalo a few years back. You know, came to Beaver Stadium. It was a night game. That place was absolutely rocking. Uh, and then Penn State comes out and kind of lays an egg for the first half of that game. Like I'm looking at it right now. Game ended 45 to 13, went into that game with Buffalo up 10, seven at the half. I'm not going to say, do you have any concerns that that sort of thing happens, but do you have any concerns that we're going to get to thir- you know, first 30 minutes of this game down we look up on the clock and it's say, I don't know. 13 to 10, 17, 13, something is just a little too close for comfort. I mean, it's certainly possible. I mean, it, all it takes is one, one play where Justin Hall is able to shake loose and get open deep. I mean, it really wouldn't take that much for that to happen, but I, I mean, I, I hate to try to even pretend to draw this conclusion after one game, but I'm kind of starting to think that this might be the best Penn State defense that James Franklin has had. I, I, and when you, when you're in that situation, I mean, it's it's hard for me to believe that Penn State is not going to score on the team that just gave up 437 yards to Western Illinois 
Like, I just don't see that happening. So, I mean, the, the situation you described is a perfectly reasonable one. It's one that we've seen several times over the years with James Franklin. Um, the, you know, playing an inferior team close in the first half before pulling away. It's something that a lot of top teams do pretty routinely. But I, this particular Penn State team, just because of the defense, does not strike me as one that will have that happen to them as frequently. So I'm not, I mean, it's possible, but I'm really, I really have zero concerns about this one. The only concern that I, like, I don't have concerns about Penn State winning this game. Um, the only concern that I have is that Penn State comes out so guns ablazing, so, you know, desperate is the right word, eager, eager might be the right word, to get those big chunk plays and go fast and do the stuff that, that, that seems like it's going to be a staple of this Penn State offense. And, you know, it just misses on a couple of those throws. It goes a little bit too fast, and uh, third and seven turns into a third and 12, and they just make their lives a little bit harder on themselves because they're supposed to come into this game and impose themselves, because they're supposed to come into this game and win it. And not even from a pressure situation, but from a, you know, we're just going to take it away little bit easier we're still getting this offense totally installed like I don't think especially with the fact that Ball State brings back 18 returning starters and 16 of their play I believe 16 of those starters are super seniors so either super seniors or super seniors within their program but Ball State's a program that is going to come in know what it's going to want to do, have a game plan, know how to execute it, all those sorts of things. And when I look at this game, Nick, I think talent's going to win out because talent generally wins out over the course of 60-minute football games. What I think is different, this, like what I think is going to be a little bit different or could get Penn State into a little bit of trouble is you put the foot on the gas a little bit too hard. You get a little bit too eager. You're going for those deep shots a little bit too quickly. And you are your own worst enemy in all those sorts of things. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if it is one of those close scores at halftime. But ultimately, I think Penn State pulls away. Uh, like I mentioned, Bill Conley has Penn State winning this game by uh 31 points i believe he said yes 31 points uh our friends out in the desert have the line at penn state minus 22 and a half over under a 58 what do you think about all of that i think that i took penn state minus the points and i took the under actually um yeah i what you said is all totally reasonable I am. I think they're going to come out and try to run the ball and force that early because they had so little success with it a week ago. I see this as an opportunity to try to get both facets of the offense working ahead of a tough defensive opponent in Auburn. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree with any of the possibilities that you raised. I just don't think they're going to happen this week. I think Penn State is able to easily win this one. I'm thinking something like 30, 34 or 38 to 13, something like that. It's a statement game. Like it's an opportunity for them to make a statement. So I also think Penn state wins. I think it follows that Buffalo game script to an extent. Uh, Obviously the thing that made that Buffalo game so difficult was Buffalo, uh, Hold on, let me, you know, I have it up right here. Buffalo had one, two, three. They just held on to the football. They had drives of 10, 19, and seven plays. I don't think that's going to be the case here. I think Penn State's going to have a little bit more of the ball because I think uh, Ball State is also going to want to throw the ball and, uh, you know, it might take a little bit longer. Having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State wins this game closer to the number that Bill put out. So I'll say something like 
Uh, let's go 45 to 17. I'll say something in that area. Uh, with a lot of those 17 points coming after Penn State puts its, two, its twos in and maybe Ball State decides we're going to keep our starters in. We're going to let it rip. We're going to try and uh, get some points at the end of this football game. But if we get to halftime and it's 17 to 7, would not be surprised by that at all. So should be a fun one in Happy Valley. That game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. on FS1. Uh, Nick, I think it's time for us to go around the Big Ten. Hit me. First up. 11, oh God, this is disgusting. Ugh. 11 a.m. on the ACC network. Illinois heading to Virginia. Uh, line is Virginia minus 10 and a half over under 55 and a half. Um, listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know anything about Virginia, but I watched Illinois beat up on the mighty, mighty Nebraska Cornhuskers, and I got to think they have a better chance than this. Why is this at 11 a.m.? I have no idea. Also, Virginia's 33rd in SP+, plus, so take back everything I just said. Yeah, no, I mean, Illinois also lost to UTSA last week? Meet me. Is that who they lost to? I believe so. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Virginia, uh, sure, Virginia wins by 10. Uh, coming to my neck of the woods, we're going to get real big and real nude for this one, folks. Noon kick on Fox, number 12, Oregon. Coming to Columbus, Ohio to take on number three, Ohio State. The Buckeyes, 14 and a half point favorites over under of 63 and a half. Nick, uh, it sounds, you know, it sounds like Kayvon Thibodeau might not be able to go the star defensive end for the Oregon Ducks. Uh, They're trying to get him ready to play, but. Thibodeau, the difference between Thibodeau playing and Thibodeau not playing might be a touchdown, but ultimately I think Ohio State just has way too much for an Oregon team that's going to come in. Joe Moorhead's going to have a good game plan. They're going to know how they want to attack Ohio State. I just don't know if they have the horses in the end to keep it up. Is it Thibodeau and not Thibodeau? Uh, Thibodeau was a basketball coach. Uh, this I know, is, yeah, it, I know, yeah, I know that, but I didn't... Was his... his... Uh, Kayvon's last name is pronounced Thibodeau. Okay, I believe didn't know that. Um, yeah, I, I think what you said is pretty much spot on. I, I think Oregon is probably better than they showed a week ago against Fresno. I mean, Fresno is also going to be a good team this year, so don't discount Fresno. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any question that Ohio State wins this game. I. I feel like Oregon can cover 14. I think it's at 14 and a half now, actually. Last I checked, at least. Um, yep. I I trust Joe Moorhead to concoct enough on offense to score some points against what looks like a pretty average Ohio State defense. So I do think Oregon is able to keep it within 14. If they don't, I think it'll be like, a very late Ohio state score to beat that spread. But despite that, I don't think it's ever actually close. Like Ohio state easily wins the game. Yeah. I mean, the issue that I inherently have is that like, I don't think it'll be a surprise to anyone who has listened to our podcasts over the year. I have complete and total trust in Joe Moorhead to know how he's going to want to go in and attack this defense. Uh, I don't know how much I trust Anthony Brown, the former Boston College quarterback, who has been uh, the quarterback in Eugene for uh, two years now, to be able to successfully attack this defense. Have some running backs who I think could do some stuff, but ultimately, I think that Ohio State's off. Like it's just that good. Like I think that Ohio State's offense very well might be the best in the country and. I just don't know how Oregon is going to be able to score with them. That like that's the issue I'm ultimately having here. So maybe I end up being wrong. Maybe Oregon ends up doing some stuff here, but I'm skeptical. Uh, also, noon kick on BTN uh, from lovely East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, Youngstown State traveling to Michigan State. Uh, Nick, if Michigan State loses this game. No disrespect to Youngstown State, they should disband the program. Yeah, I mean, it'd be funny if they lost. Oh, it would be hilarious. Listen, I'm the same person who got all our friends mad at me because I said it would be funny if Ball State beat Penn State this week. So 
<laughs> it would be hilarious if Youngstown State won this game. Yeah, I think Michigan State should be able to win pretty much just by running the football. Yeah, the, Kenneth Walker looks like he uh, has some big-time dude potential. So uh, another game that I, I, you know, I share that sentiment. Well, I kind of share that sentiment with uh, Noon Kick ESPNU, uh, Minnesota hosting Miami of Ohio, 19-point spread, 53-and-a-half over under. Uh, no Mohamed Ibrahim, unfortunately, but Nick – do you know who the top receiver for Miami of Ohio is? Mm, well, I imagine it's somebody I should know if That's you're asking right. me. That's right. Can you give me a hint? Uh, let's, how, how do I give, you know what? I'll just give a really obvious hint away. He loves baseball. It's Mac Hippenhammer? It's Mac Hippenhammer, baby. Three receptions, 64 catches for Miami of Ohio. Uh, they lost to Cincinnati real bad last week, which a lot of teams are going to lose to Cincinnati real bad. But Mac Hippenhammer is here. Isn't that nice? Good for him. I We, we are very pro Mac Hippenhammer on this pod. Uh, hey, Nick, you want to play the ticket price game? Let's go. There is no Nick. way you are going... There is no way you're not going to laugh the next couple of words out of my mouth. Ready? New kick. BTN. Indiana State travels to Evanston, Illinois to play Northwestern. What do you oh, think no. the cheapest? <laughs> what do you think the cheapest ticket you can get is? You know, I saw. I don't remember where I was reading this, but I was reading something about it was comparing. It might have, you know, I randomly stumbled upon Spencer Hall's like uh, most infuriating Big Ten fan bases from like 2020. And the way the thing he wrote for Northwestern was something like if Ohio State, if something if for some reason, Ohio State's football program would be disbanded, the state of Ohio would essentially be set on fire. If Nebraska, if Northwestern ceased to exist there would be a hundred tweets from journalists talking about what a loss it is. And everyone in Chicago would gain new beachfront properties and I'm, move on with their lives. I'm so interested in where this is going in picking how cheap a ticket is. for this <laughs> it, it, So it's leading me to the point that I don't think anyone really cares about Northwestern football. And given these extra sets of circumstances working against, you know, people wanting to buy tickets, I'm going to land my prediction on, Two dollars. Holy hell, you got it. Let's go. See, uh, S it was a long journey, but it led to the correct answer. SP Plus has Northwestern winning this game by a final score of twenty-nine to nine. Um, that's really Northwestern. I put up more points than that on Indiana State. Come on, fellas, you uh, have some pride about you. Uh, huge Big Ten slate this week. Uh, every team is playing. Uh, 2 p.m. kick ACC Network. Uh, Rutgers two and a half point favorites over Syracuse at the Carrier Dome. Over under 51 and a half. Uh, Rutgers might be a little bit good, Nick. Uh, I think they probably win this game because I don't think Syracuse is particularly great. But hey, listen, Rutgers might have themselves a football team. If I felt the need to bet on a Rutgers football game, I think I would take Syracuse. Syracuse and the points here only wow. because I I think Temple might I mean I think Rutgers is better than they have been Temple might be terrible though and I don't know how much to value the the type of win that Rutgers achieved last week and I'm worried that there's a little not a little I'm worried there's a lot of overvalue overvaluing going on because of it I I mean, it's it's week two. We don't know anything when it comes to betting. No one does. It's almost always the like the week where most people lose bets just because you draw conclusions on week one that you shouldn't and all that and yada, yada, yada. But I I think I would take the points here. I'm not saying Rutgers loses, but it's it, this like this is not the type of game I think that Rutgers should be favored in like in. Most situations over the last however many years, Syracuse would be favored in this game. And I don't really think that should be different now. 3 p.m. kick, CBS Sports Network. Purdue play. Do you know what Purdue plays this week, Nick? I do. They play. Oh, wait. 
is it UMass or UConn? It's UConn, baby. UConn, yeah. which uh, had its coach announce his resignation for the end of the season this week, and then a day later, he just decided to resign outright. Uh, Purdue 34-point favorites. Um, listen, I know you should not take Purdue as a 34-point favorite, and I know you should not listen to me for betting advice, but that UConn team is real cursed, so please consider it. I'm kind of thinking that so there's there's a rule that I was I very strictly followed back in the Art Briles Baylor era, which, you know, not saying I miss it. I certainly don't. But the rule was every Baylor game, no matter what, take the over. It doesn't matter what the number is. You always take the over. I think for 2021, there needs to be a hard rule that says it doesn't matter who UConn is playing or what the line is. You take whoever is favored against them, minus the points, no matter what. Nick, do you know who UConn's uh, third-to-last and second-to-last games of the year are against? Uh, well, they're in the ACC. Is one of them Clemson? Well, they're not in the ACC. Or not in the ACC. They're, um, don't they play a lot of ACC teams, though? Uh, they play... No, they play one ACC team. Hmm, okay, that must be they're, they're, else. They're, they are independent um, of football. Are you thinking? Of, uh, are you are you mixing UConn up with Notre Dame, Nick Paul? <laughs> no, I'm not. I I thought that UConn had an agreement similar to Notre Dame. Um, no, I have no idea who they played in the last two weeks. Then second to last, I'm sure it's funny. U- second to last, they go to UCF. The week before that, they go to Clemson. So oh, so yeah. I was right. So you okay. were right, but. You know, the process was not great. Uh, I'm going to group three games together because I don't care about any of them. Uh, 3.30 kick on BTN. Buffalo goes to Nebraska. Nebraska's 14-point favorites. 7 p.m. kick on FS1. Eastern Michigan goes to Wisconsin. Wisconsin, 26-point favorites. 7.30 p.m. kick on BTN. Idaho travels to Indiana. Nick, do you care about a single thing in any of these football games? Buffalo plus the points. Book it. Listen. I'm not going to sit here and tell someone to bet against Nebraska football because that seems like a very fulfilling experience. Also, uh, <laughs> I Idaho against Indiana. Uh, I'm very interested to see if Indiana comes out looking like they're shell shocked um, because them boys got a whooping uh, from Iowa last week, and I think that'll be an interesting thing to uh, keep an eye on. And speaking of Iowa, uh, Big Ten. Game of the week, 4.30 p.m. kick on ABC, Iowa traveling to Ames to take on Iowa State in El Asico. Iowa State four and a half point favorites, Nick. After last week, we saw Iowa demolish Indiana and Iowa State struggle to beat University of Northern Iowa. I don't know. I feel like taking Iowa State, uh, Iowa plus four and a half is smart, but also I think Iowa might just get it done on the field. Yeah, so I there's there's a couple things that I'm thinking about betting wise when it comes to this. One, typically in El Asico, I take the team that's getting the points, no matter what. Because it's almost <laughs> always a close game. But the thing that's scaring me is I mean, I had the same initial reaction. I'm like, from what I saw in week one, I don't know why I don't know why Iowa isn't favored here. And yet the line has like Iowa state has become more favored by the week. I believe it started at Iowa plus three and now it's at four and a half. And I, so I, I don't, I hardly lay any bets down in college football week two anyway, because of what I said, it's, it's just never, it's almost never a good idea. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm also not one to like, I know Vegas knows everyone knows Vegas knows. And for that line to continue to push in that direction is perplexing to me. And it's gotten me to the point that I'm, I would not go anywhere near it. I'm, I'm terrified of it now. I, I mean, I might say that Iowa state is going to win this game and cover just because like, I mean, Vegas knows it boils down to Vegas knows clearly there is something that they are seeing that. I think I heard on the solid verbal that 87 by when they recorded, I think they said they recorded on Tuesday of the preview show, 87% of the money had come in on Iowa, but that line is growing 
bigger anyway. It, it is completely nonsensical to me. So I'm going to lean on the side of Vegas and say Iowa State wins and covers. Ooh, okay, Nick. I like it. I mean, the thing is, Iowa's defense is, like, disgusting. And Brock Purdy has some chaos in him. Like, Brees Hall is outstanding. Like, if they can bottle up Brees Hall, I think that might end up being it for Iowa. State, Iowa but also bottling up Brees Hall is, like, really hard to do so who knows what ends up happening there uh bill conley actually you know we'll shout out bill for the millionth time this podcast he put out a really interesting graphic nick i don't know if you saw it but it was uh the passing bins for iowa's spencer petrus and oh my god this boy cannot throw himself the football uh it's it's real bleak i'm actually going to send it to you right now uh, just so I can hear your reaction when you list, read it for the first time. But like this man, he's, he's real bad. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so yeah, basically, oh, my word. If you make, if you make him throw the ball more than five yards down the field, he's probably not completing it. So this game is the potential to get really chaotic. I like the thing with me in Iowa is that I just think Iowa's defense is really, really, really good. They're nasty. They're well coached. This just like has the vibe of the Iowa team that comes around every couple of years, but would be an easy thing for Iowa State to be able to win this game because Lord knows what happens in Alaska. Uh, Nick, do you suppose there is a reason why? I did not include Howard against Maryland at 7.30 p.m. on BTN in the list of games I don't care about. Uh, I don't know. Is there a reason? Because we're because we're playing the ticket price game, baby. How much uh, is the cheapest ticket to get into Howard versus Maryland on campus in College Park? Um, where is Howard? Uh, Howard is in DC. Yeah, I was gonna say I thought I thought it was close. So I ah, I feel like that could drive it up a little bit because I imagine there would be at least some Howard fans interested in attending this game. Uh, I'll say $4. Ooh, sorry, big spender. $3 for the cheapest. Ah. Otherwise, I don't care. Uh, Final game of the week. uh, The game in college football I'm most excited about this week, Nick. 8 p.m. kick on ABC. uh, Michigan, seven-point favorites against John Donovan's Washington Huskies. Uh, For those of you who uh, have decided to get all John Donovan things out of your life. Uh, they Washington, uh, while, despite being down a number of players, Nick will go into this a little bit, lost to Montana last week at home 13-7. to uh, Nick, Michigan in this one, seven-point favorites over under 48-and-a-half. Uh, their best player, Ronnie Bell, unfortunately is going to be out for the season. Hell of a football player. Wish him all the best. What are you thinking with this one? I all right. So, yeah, like you mentioned, Washington was missing a lot of uh, defenders, particularly last week. But that wasn't really the issue for them. They they held Montana to 13 points. You would think that would win most games. I like I, I see one of two things happening here. I think that. I think that Michigan either wins by Michigan is going to win. I think Michigan either wins by like one or two points or Michigan wins by like 20 points. Like I don't see a middle ground here and I'm kind of leaning towards the former because the Husky defense is very good and it's going to continue to be very good. I have, (laughs) I I mean, you would hope the offense could get better, but like it was just, it was a, truly like shockingly horrific game Mm -hmm. on offense for the Huskies a week ago, just like, like mind bendingly bad. And they'll obviously be playing a much better defense this week. So I, uh, it's either like, it's, it's either going to be like 13, 10 Michigan, or it's going to be 42, 10. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know which. I I'm curious to see how much losing Ronnie Bell hurts them. Yeah, because they have other talent at wide receiver. Cornelius Johnson uh, specifically is 
uh, going to be a very good player, but I don't know. I would not touch this game with a 10 foot pole personally. Yeah, no, no, you should absolutely not do that. I mean, I, I actually didn't watch that game. Um, but I was following you along with it on Twitter and there were two kinds of people tweeting about it. One were people who were like, Oh my God, Washington, what the hell is going on? Like, this is a, no, like, why are you this bad? Like, you have to be better on offenses. And then there were the people who were just going like, oh, yeah, John Donovan's their offensive coordinator. So I will be tuning into this game solely to watch whatever the hell happens to John Donovan because, oh, boy, I don't know how that guy got a job again. Uh, pop, pop, quiz. Yeah. pop quiz. Pop yeah. quiz. Do you know what he was doing, what his position was before he got hired by Washington? Uh, I believe he was an offensive analyst with the Jacksonville Jaguars close he he was initially an offensive analyst i believe i don't believe was he, he was uh, still... uh, hold on hold on assistant running backs coach <laughs> yes okay <laughs> he went from penn state to offensive analyst for the jaguars and then became the assistant running backs coach and apparently that's all you need to become the offensive coordinator at one of the premier programs in the pac-12 yeah, he, he, he must be really funny or something. Uh, I think I that's say, he must have one hell of a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, his he must interview real great. Uh, I mean, I imagine someone who spent so much time around James Franklin can interview pretty well, but neither here nor there. Uh, Nick, I think that's it for this edition of the pod. Any final things you want to add about the Big Ten, about Penn State's game and anything at all? I'm excited to start to draw more legitimate conclusions about Penn State and about everybody else in the conference this week. Looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing on whatever your podcast feed of choice is. If you use Apple Podcasts, please go over there and leave us a five-star review. Uh, make sure you keep reading and supporting the site. Best way that you can do that is by going out and buying a couple of T-shirts. Uh, we'll get them shipped right over to you from Matt's Basement. I'm sure it's a very nice basement. I have never seen it. Make sure you're following us on all of our various social media it's very channels. Nice. Oh, yeah, you've been there, haven't you? I have. It's very nice. nice. I've slept uh, make there. Sure, ooh, make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels, especially make sure you're following us on Twitter because we probably aren't doing it this week. We'll see if, how the game goes and if we feel like doing something uh, Regard, uh, related to that, but we are going to try and start doing some post-game Twitter spaces, give some instant reacts to the Penn State game. And Nick, you have a little project that I want you to plug right here. Yeah, so I think next week we're going to try to start doing, uh, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, like Nittany Lines and Five, something like that. I don't know. Uh, but we're just going to try to do a little like five-minute segments, every five or ten minutes, probably five, um, on YouTube. And just post them to our uh, youtube.com slash C slash Roar Lines Roar. Um, but yeah, just little five-minute things. You know, obviously the one right after the the one on Monday following the game will be a recap. The one on Friday will be a little mini preview. But you know, during the rest of the week, we'll talk about whatever. We'll talk about like highlight performances from the week before. We'll try to get some special guests on stuff like that. So you know, just be a fun, fun extra little thing to listen to on the way to work or to start your day with whatever you want. So yeah, look out for that. For sure. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Bye.